Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, December 9th, 2020, day three of the winter meetings. And to this point, I think the Chicago White Sox are winning the meetings, which are really more of a time period than a physical event this year since it's all happening online. Uh, later on in this episode, we joined by the newest member of the New York Mets, at least at this moment. That is, of course, pitcher Trevor May. Talked about a lot of interesting things with Trevor, so stick around for that interview. You know, let's get right at it. Big trade that went down after we posted our Monday episode. The Rangers and White Sox hooked up on a deal that actually happened in our OOTP sim back in the spring. Lance Lynn gets traded to the White Sox. Dane Dunning, along with Avery Weems, goes back to Texas in the return. We've actually talked quite a bit about both Lynn and Dunning on this show. Uh, and I think the interesting thing here is that we've got a new park in Texas from 2020, only a partial season, of course. But I'm curious, is this a positive move for Lynn, or is it actually a slight negative, even though guaranteed rate field doesn't play as hitter-friendly as some people think that it does? I don't know. I think it's probable that... Whatever that field name is in Texas, what's it called? Globe Life Park, I think, is what it is now. And it used to be Globe Life Field, or I have that flipped. Hey, did he get just traded from one of the worst named parks to the other worst named park? Blah. Maybe the two worst named parks. Globe yeah. Life to guaranteed rate. Like, ugh, I feel so corporate just saying them. Anyway, that park in Arlington, I think, is the most pitcher-friendly park in baseball. And... Lynn still managed to go over the worst home run rate of his career. I think he's a slightly more on the precipice. And I've said this before, but I think he's slightly more on the precipice than people realize when they do their rankings. They, they, they see the, uh, the threes ERA, the last two years, four out of the last five years. Um, they see just the durability other than the Tommy John surgery. Uh, they see the new velocity and these are all good things. However, even at the new velocity, uh, he saw a half tick drop off. If he sees another half tick drop off, he's going to be back to where he was in a Cardinals uniform pretty soon. So I'm not sure that this next season is great. And I would not necessarily be the one to sign Lynn to his next contract because I'm just not sure that he has the secondaries to go to anymore. He just used his slider more than he ever used in the past. And it's okay, but I don't think the curveball should be used more. And I don't think the change is any good. So I don't think he has another sort of old pitcher button to press um, you know, unless he goes to like 40% on the slider, which I don't think would actually be very, very good for him. So anyway, uh, this next year, he is a good addition for the White Sox because they needed innings and they needed a sh more of a sure thing. And I think if you go Giolito, Lynn Keuchel, and then say, okay, the rest is youngsters, you guys get together and, and figure out which of the best youngsters, see who has who plays their potential the best. That's a good way to go into the season. More sure things, and then you push the unsure things back to the back of the rotation and see what you get. So I think that makes sense. I think it makes sense for them to give up Dame Dunning, who's already 26 years old, does not have plus velocity, um, and may be more of a project in terms of building him up in terms of innings. I think he could probably pitch 100 to 120 next year maybe but that would also be the most of his career um so or the second most of his career so i think that it behooves um you know the the white Sox to trade innings you know trade 
you know, control team control and upside in the future for sure thing innings right now. And, and the Rangers, it's the opposite. So one of those things that where it makes sense for both teams still like Dunning, like him even more now that he's in that park in Arlington. Yeah. It's a boost for Dunning then based on the way the new park in Arlington played in 2020, less pressure as far as uh, candidates pushing for those rotation spots, right? If he'd stayed with the white Sox, you have cease and you have Kopech and I don't know if all three of those guys were going to open in the rotation together. So I think this does give Dane Dunning a pretty nice boost. Lance Lynn has pitched more innings since the start of 2019 than anybody else in the big leagues. 292 in the third innings. So goes yeah, deep into those games. Up. Good for the bullpen. Yeah. Yep. Get you some rest that way. So I do think it it does make sense from that sort of fit perspective. I wonder. And I didn't see a lot of this thrown out there when they made the trade because it's the last year of his deal. And he's old enough where it's probably less than 50% likely. But if Lance Lynn pitches well in 2021, I think you could see the White Sox put the qualifying offer on him because one more year at 18-ish million, if he pitches well in 2021, isn't the worst possible thing. And if he does leave, you end up getting that draft pick back. I would rather do that, honestly, as if I was like a front office person, I'd rather do that than sign Lynn to like a four or five year deal. Um, and so Lynn may find that happens on the market too. Dunning has been one of my favorite uh, sleepers because I really like the slider. It's a slider league. Uh, if you watch them pitch, he puts the slider and the change and the four seam in the right places. He commands those well. Um, the, the thing that I want to see out of him is maybe increased velocity. Um, he throws a sinker a lot at 90 and a half. He throws the four seam a fair amount at 91.9. That's below average velocity. So I'd want to see a little bit more velocity out of him. Um, and I need to see better command of the sinker. He puts the sinker middle, middle a lot. And the sinker has a better movement profile than his four seam, but this is a four seam league. So there is some risk there based on the shape of his four seam and the command of his sinker. Um, but I still I still like him. I still see a four-pitch mix, um, and I see a good park situation. So uh, I'm, in on, I'm, I'm in on Dunning. I'm probably going to have to creep him up in the rankings a bit, maybe into the 65 to 70 range, a quick game of would you rather. So with Dean Dunning now in Texas, would you rather have Dunning or Mike Miner in 2021? Um, Dunning, for sure. I did want to point out, uh, I just looked at some numbers wrong. Uh, it's 92 on both, but still below average velocity. How about Dunning versus Tony Gonsolin? Man, sometimes you got, like, recency bias is so strong, dude. Like, sometimes you got to, like, just imagine the playoffs didn't happen. Tony Gonsolin, man. In a world in which the Dodgers get eliminated before Tony Gonsolin can make those extra <laughs> playoff appearances, you have such high lofty expectations for him. But just because of a few things that happened oh in October, it's like, uh, yeah, maybe I'm not sure. But when you look at the regular season numbers, they're good. You start telling stories to yourself because the, the command plus number on Gonsolin is not good. It's it's below it's below 90. And you start saying, well, that's what happened in the postseason. I know, oh, my God, the, with the command plus and the postseason, now I have a real reason to really denigrate Gonsolin. But like right now, Gonsolin is in that rotation and has good stuff and has the strikeout and walk rates of a good pitcher. So like I'm going to chill out on, you know, pushing my sleeper so hard that he goes past a legitimate pitcher that has established quality in um, 
in the major leagues like Gonsolin. All right, so Gonsolin above Dunning. How about Drew Smiley versus Dane Dunning? Hmm. I think I found the right section to move him to, right? Because these are the guys that I'm looking at, and like you, I'm I'm probably with you on Gonsolin, but it might be Gonsolin just ahead of Dunning at this point because Smiley, I'm worried about innings, even though I liked what we were seeing when he was with the Giants. Of course, he lands in Atlanta. The numbers, the underlying numbers look really good. Command Plus was good. Uh, Called strikes and whiffs really good at 34.2%. But it was only 26 and a third innings. And that's the thing that I do have to sort of keep in mind. I'm going to pull myself back to reality by saying, hey, this was a very limited amount of work from Drew Smiley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Smiley and Dunning, that you're looking at a pretty small sample stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And and for Smiley, uh, you know, for, for Dunning, I think to put on velocity a couple years out of TJ, well, I guess, you know, Smiley had had um, surgery too. But, you know, <sighs> Smiley pitched 114 innings in 2019. It wasn't like he didn't pitch at all. He pitched 114 innings with a 91-mile-an-hour fastball and then came out last year and threw 93-8. Like, it's just, it's a real big outlier. I'm asking for Dunning to put on, like, a half tick. We're asking Smiley to hold on to a two and a half tick increase. I mean, there's it's a little bit uh, difference there. I think, I think Dunning, but I think you, yeah, I think I think you're right generally that you, that you've landed in the right spot. All right, the upgrade is coming. I threw up a Twitter poll on Monday night after the trade happened. I asked everybody who's the most valuable White Sox starting pitcher after Lucas Giolito, and I put that question out there, expecting Lance Lynn to do well, but I really wanted to see where the field sort of was on Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease and Dallas Keuchel. Lance Lynn did win at 67.1%. Kopech came in with 16.3%. Cease, 9.9%. Keuchel, no one likes him, 6.8%. Innings eater, low K rate. I get it. Not a lot of ceiling there, but floor matters in deeper leagues especially. Yeah, he's definitely a deep league play. But Kopech, you know, after opting out in 2020, falls into that category of complete mystery box sorts of players. I liked him a lot going into 2020. I thought there was some reason to be optimistic about him. The stuff has always been really good. If it clicks, we're talking about a guy that I think brings the arsenal of a number two sort of starter. And by that, I mean like a top 30 fantasy starter. I think that's in his range of outcomes. And I think I would rather at the price go after Kopech than target Lynn where he has to go you know what people pay for Lance Lynn I don't think it's ridiculous but I think there are other pitchers I like more other players I like in that range you get to the point where Kopech is more it's not a lottery ticket but he's outside the top 200 overall and I think that's a sweet spot where I feel like I'm getting enough floor even though we don't know what the workload is going to look like and we're definitely getting a ceiling that could lead to a pretty big payoff yeah, I mean, sitting 95 where he threw three pitches 10% of the time, that's that's the raw stuff that dreams are made out of. So, um, you know, I think the the command is a little bit uh, to be wondered about. Even with the low, with the low walk rate, he had a, he'd had high walk rates in the minors, high high home run late last year. So um, we'll, we'll see. But I, I agree with you generally. I think we should play a little quick would you rather on Lance Lynn. Yeah. All right. Let's run it off ADP. Running it off my rankings is stupid that's that's what one person thinks let's try to 
crowdsource it off of the group, and we're going to use drafts since the start of November from the NFBC. 37 drafts in total. Lance Lynn, ADP 62. And, okay, Lance Lynn or Sonny Gray? Sonny Gray. Yeah, that's an easy gray for me. Uh, Lance Lynn or Hinjin Ryu? It's there's a little bit of like uh, innings versus quality. I, I but next year might be a real problem in innings. In which case, I guess maybe that's an argument for Lynn. You know, because he'll probably just throw a bunch of innings. <laughs> um, but I normally go quality over innings, so. I'm saying just a sort of qualified Ryu. I'm snap on Ryu being better. Like that's my yeah, quick that's response. A, yeah, but yeah. I, I do think the the caution sticker, the warning on Hinjin Ryu should be that a sixty game season and being healthy for a sixty game season is different than being healthy for hundred and sixty two. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he wasn't on the IL in a shortened season, it counts as a healthy season. And this is a guy that if he had to have throw 180 last year, might not have been able to do it because he's got a lot of arm injuries in his past. So don't forget those because they are a big deal. But I do like Ryu better than Lin. Uh, We've talked a lot about the depth of his arsenal being a a big part of his success over the last couple of seasons. Uh, How about Zach Plesak versus Lance Lin? I think Plesak's ADP is in the top 60 overall. I I can't do it. I'm going, Lynn. I mean, th- at that point, I'd just be like, "Hey, this is this is this is someone I think is a bulk player for me." That's that's how I think of Plesak. So, if I'm going to go bulk, I'm going to go with the proven bulk. I've got Plesak ranked ahead of Lynn. I'm not drafting either of them at their respective. Yeah, prices. I don't. I don't They're like. At... I don't like that group. Mm-mm. No, there's just too many ways it can go wrong. One more, Lance Lynn or Carlos Carrasco. I, I see. A few uh, warning signs of Carrasco, and but you know, in some ways they're similar uh, to the warning signs that I see from Lynn because I mean uh, Carrasco through his worst fastball since 2011, which is before he kind of had that transformation last year in terms of he threw 94. If that drops down to 93 plus next year, then we're talking about perhaps pre-transformation Carlos Carrasco, right? Um, and there's just a, a weird thing that's been happening to his curveball and his slider where, uh, they, they were becoming more similar. Um, so I don't know if that's super meaningful or not, but I'm buying time. You can tell, um, <laughs> what's a good, it must be a decent question then. Yeah, some of the things that some of the stuff that was happening to slide and curveball kind of reversed last year. Uh, I'm going to go to Carrasco. I've got Lynn exactly one spot ahead of him. It's weird those guys are as close in ADP as they are since they're back to back in my rankings. But there you I go. Guess similarly minded people doing some drafts early on. The one thing that sort of pops for Carrasco uh, is the called strikes and whiffs. 30.3% compared to Lynn, 26.7%, both a tick below average in terms of command plus at 96 for Carrasco 98 for Lynn not an alarmingly no number I'm just a little bit surprised about that command plus number for Lynn because I just think of him as a guy with great command and um, I wonder if 
he kind of changes the shape on his fastball kind of minutely. If he's a little bit like Jaime Garcia, where he has like six fastballs, you know what I mean? Where he's like, mm. you know, I have a two-seamer and a sinker. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, there's something about the way he shapes fastballs that may not be captured by um, an approach where you bin it and you just say, hey, this is his fastball. Well, maybe he has you know, the riding four seamer and maybe he has the cutting four seamer and maybe, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I feel like, um, there may be some touch that's not being captured by command plus when it comes to Lynn, but, um, otherwise, uh, called spikes plus whiffs is a good way to combine stuff plus command. I mean, the called strikes and the whiffs, right. And, um, Lynn doesn't really show up there that strongly there. Yeah. If you're going off that, as a tiebreaker, at least, Carrasco would break through that cluster. I've also got Max Freed sort of tucked into that range, too. The market has Freed a little bit earlier than both of those guys. White Sox also made a move. They brought back an old friend, trademark. Uh, Adam Eaton is back with the White Sox on a one-year deal. It made me wonder, are they obligated to make a move that people don't like for every move that they make <laughs> people do like? Because Adam Eaton is not what I would describe as a likable guy uh he does not have a, a track record of being harmonious in the clubhouse so uh, it seems like a very curious addition with so many corner outfield options on the market yeah i mean they could have went and got robbie grossman and they wouldn't have to answer any questions about you know <laughs> uh scissors and drake laroche or whatever but um you know one of the things that uh eaton is good at in the normal season is getting on base and I think that's what they signed him for. I, I would expect he doesn't face a single lefty next year. And they have a Dos Adames uh, platoon out there. And I think, and I have the White Sox signing two more big name free agents. I have the White Sox signing two out of the 10 top free agents um, that I, I have a piece going up tomorrow about the fits for the top 10 free agents. So um, Eaton as um uh, a starting right fielder and we're done doing business, I think, is what made people react really strongly to this. Eaton as a platoon outfielder, step one of a three or four step program, I can't get too angry about. I think probably, you know, I like Grossman. I like this this guy. Maybe I like Jock better. Um, you know, that's what I would have done maybe, especially if it's for a platoon anyway. Um, I think Jock would have made sense, but, uh, for people saying like, oh, Brantley or Azuna, well, I think that might still be coming. You know, I think they're going to have one more signing in terms of, uh, in the lineup and in the, the, the pitching staff. Yeah. If Eden's more of a fourth outfielder plus, then this ends up being really nice. If he ends up being a fixture in the lineup. I don't know. He's not really a good defender at this point in his career either. The OBP, that's real. That's a skill that he's proven time and time again that he owns. But he used to be kind of a, I don't know, kind of like another Brett Gardner type where you get you know a dozen or so homers and maybe a dozen steals in a good year. Maybe he pops a few extra homers to go to, to boost that total a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but for fantasy, I'm not that super into him. <laughs> no, no. Because the, the speed be could year. just totally disappear. Yeah. Like there's, there's no reason to believe the speed's going to hold on forever. And then he's like probably not a good weekly guy because uh, I think Adam Engel will steal two or three uh, starts a week from him. So It is weird that both, yeah, that Adam E. Platoon, <laughs> Adam Engel. But I think that is, uh, you know, a good point. They're probably not done as they continue to... Uh, 
give themselves a shot to really be the favorites in the AL Central. I think that's the direction they're heading if they add those two big pieces that you alluded to. Uh, one other move in the AL Central, Carlos Santana gets a two-year deal from the Royals. Interesting because the Royals were tied for 26th in Team OBP in 2020. This is something that they've struggled with for a while. Uh, the park is a more difficult one for home runs compared to progressive fields, so I think you do worry a little bit about the power tapering off somewhat for Carlos Santana. He turns 35 in April. He's the kind of player that projections like, and as you've pointed out, the research that Jeff Zimmerman has done tells us to be a little weary of those projections for a player like Carlos Santana. So how do you feel about this move? Like, I understand how they're justifying it because I think, like Adam Eaton, Carlos Santana owns that skill of drawing a lot of walks and getting on base a lot. But I could see some hits to that OBP coming from the fact that he's going to hit a ton of fly balls. He doesn't run well. Like All the things you can do to drag down your average will also pull that OBP down a little bit. And if the power starts to dry up, he's not the stalwart filler in the corner for fantasy players either, even though I think the Royals are just going to jam him into the heart of their lineup. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I think that, um, I think there just wasn't like a good third baseman necessarily that fit because uh, they let, you know, a, a perfectly bad third baseman go. Um, and now they're moving Ryan O'Hearn over to third is what they're saying. Um, and they obviously, you know, they're kind of up against what they spent in the past. So I don't think that they had a lot more money than two years and 17 million to spend. I don't think they were going to pull uh, Justin Turner or DJ LeMayhew away from the, these other teams with that kind of money. So their other choice would have been to spend a little bit more to t- take a shortstop and turn him into a third baseman like Didi Gregorius or, or Marcus Simeon. That's a possible outcome, but uh, by even by like WRC plus or projected bat, um, you know, Santana is going to be better than that. So there isn't, there wasn't like a better alternative necessarily for that team. And I laud them for uh, trying to improve their t- team. Um, and if Santana bounces back and if minor bounces back and the team isn't that good, they're still sellable uh, players. I think on those contracts, Santana a little bit less because it's two years and 17 million, but if they ate like 5 million of it at the deadline, they could probably send, send him somewhere too. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's smart for them to do what they did. Uh, um, I don't know that I put Santana immediately on a, even like a deep league must draft kind of list because of what Zimmerman found. I mean, just projected bounce backs at 35 years old are not something you want to kind of uh, want to base your real life or fantasy team on. Right. I'm more inclined to do it in a league that uses OBP instead of batting average, but I, I did that in the XFL over the weekend because he was really cheap. First base was a wasteland. I figured he'd play a lot, and it's a deep enough league. It's 15 teams where I do think there's a chance I could flip him if my team's not contending and get something back, bundle him with someone better, whatever. Are you the Royals of your... No, come on, man. No, come no, on, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, I think in certain instances, a player like Carlos Santana is a little undervalued, but I think in yeah. most instances, 10, 12-team mixed leagues, he's not quite where he wants to be. I mean, last year, it was a bad year, and he still had a 349 OBP, so it's, he's probably in some lineups last year. Are you struggling to close deals? 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I wanna tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Now it's our pleasure to be joined by the newest member of the New York Mets. I'm frantically checking Twitter to make sure that the Mets didn't just add somebody else in the last 10 seconds. But it's pitcher Trevor May. Trevor, thanks for making some time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. So your, your career has unfolded in a very interesting period of time with a lot of advancements in pitching development. Uh, as far as how the organization was handling pitching during your time in Minnesota, how much did things change over your eight years there? Oh, uh, night and day. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, there was a lot of different people involved um, coming and going, and it was very much in the height of making that transition from kind of traditional, a lot of eye tests, a lot of, you know, uh, years of experience um, contrasted with, with, you know, science basically telling you uh, what's actually happening when, when, when our eyes see it. Um, very much that transition maybe a little bit more complicated, but very much similar to the way that they portrayed it in uh, Moneyball. Um, and uh, so I was there right at right when I was traded over there. It was just, it was a lot of traditional thinking. It was a lot of, uh, you know, makeup, uh, mental, you know, like uh, um, competitiveness and, and stuff of that nature. And, and uh, you know, I still believe that all has a very high value in, in the game. I mean, it's, it's still important that, you know, uh, uh, your players are, are want you know to win uh and 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 are able to change their mindset set when they need to and mind state when they need to those are all skills that need to exist that can't be really uh, uh quantified as well by numbers um but uh in the past few years a really really heavy uh emphasis on understanding empirically why why balls move the way they do why guys throw the way they do um, injuries are incor- in- incorporated in that too. Understanding body movements and how that contributes to to wear and tear on the body. How important rest is. I mean, all those things factor in huge. Um, I think that's uh, under kind of talked about not enough is how much of this uh, have the sabermetrics and analytics has has contributed to the idea of rest um, in a in a in a, ser- in a game where we play 162 games. It's a our regular season a month longer than any other professional sport. Uh, like your body, yes, uh, it's a little bit less impact uh, on the daily, but mentally, it, the grind is longer, and and the end, in, there's no end in sight for a very long time, uh, and so you kind of have to find a way to make your body feel. It's almost as if like how whoever feels like whoever can get to that ninety percent recharge rate more often, I think, has the more successful years. So uh, understanding that and how it all works and how that happens uh, has been. 
um, a huge, huge change from 2012 Minnesota Twins to the 2020 Minnesota Twins. That's really interesting. Did how did that manifest uh, to you in in doing your job? Like, um, did you have like more mandatory days where you were totally you wouldn't get hot? You weren't you were unavailable. Did you have a more sort of like uh, regimented uh, throw throw not throw that sort of like schedule? Um, you know, did you you were also kind of transitioning from starting to relieving, but you know, rest for a reliever. Uh, you know, like, yeah. was it like if you got hot, that counted as going in the game, you know, with the new regime? It was closer. Yeah. It was it was valued more. So we were always keeping track of the last seven days, uh, how many times you got up and got hot or how close you were to going into a game or, or like we really closely monitored how many throws we made in the bullpen. Wow. And we tried wow. to have a good idea of how many got how many like how guys bounce back. I was actually, I got the reputation of, of being one of the better maintaining stuff back to back days or three out of four days better than a lot of other guys, just because of the way that I, I maintain my long toss and my arm strength. And like, I, I, I believe in throwing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and that kind of, and then that, and, and then that, and always like kind of had a lot of uncertainty around like what my role was going to be, whether I was going to stick, I had injuries, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of like coming back from kind of falling out of favor and coming back in, you know, uh, there was a lot of that for me. So, uh, I've, I learned very early to just be ready when you get your opportunity, you need to take advantage of every opportunity you get. Cause when you're not on the field, you get no opportunities. So right, take advantage right. of those opportunities and make sure that you're establishing yourself. So I had that mindset already. So it was easy for me to be ready. Um, but yeah, I I'd say that not necessarily having a schedule. I think that's more of minor. There's, there's, there's times where minor league, I've like in 2018, I got option for a month. Um, and we were very much on it. Like these three guys are pitching this day and it wasn't official, but it, we just were like, we just kind of got the flow of things. Like we knew we were going to pitch that night. Uh, we very rarely ever threw back to back. Um, not that I couldn't, it was just, I was with a group of guys that, that were being, uh, kind of used in that way. So that when they got called up, they weren't too, we kind of knew where they were. Like I, you would always know where they were in terms of, uh, um, you know, there's no time when like, your AAA coach is out there trying to win every game, and then the guy threw four out of six times, and he gets called the big leagues, and he's worthless, right? We always knew, we always knew uh, uh, that guys were fairly fresh, um, so that anyone being called up, we felt good about throwing them that night. Uh, and so, but in the big leagues, it was more like there was there's definitely more days where they're like, you're down, like you're not pitching, um, or emergency, um, 13th inning, 14th inning, like we might need you. But and and they were really good. They were over communicating, uh, over communicators, which I I personally I love. Um, and you know, there's times where they were just like, "You, uh, you're emergency, but you're down, right?" Mm-hmm. But they don't want we we didn't have the arms to be able to tell that many guys. But we had a couple times where like five of us, like we were like we were like Sergio, Clippard, May, Rogers, and Duffy. None of you guys are pitching today. And we're like, <laughs> there was there, we had a couple of those days where like there was eight nine of us out there. I'm like, you four, it's you four tonight. Wow. And, it it was it was i think that that's so valuable that like those guys who are like every night like i'm probably not going to get the high leverage but then there's one night where they're like it could be me in the eighth tonight mm-hmm. and they know that and they're able to prepare for it and then they go out and do their job it just made us so much 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 better as a bullpen i think that's a huge testament to why we're so good so yes there 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 was an active um strategy to rest guys as much as possible and and with position players it was a little bit more straightforward and obviously with really or with with starters it's you right, know, right, they were right. giving them extra days and everyone knew ahead of time 
and relievers is more like show up at the field that day and they're like, you're down. It's a lot of, most of the time it was like, with me especially, they were like, how do you feel today? Because I, could, <laughs> I was better back-to-back than a lot of other guys. So, um, and, we, and we, yeah, we followed that, that, that program pretty well. So knowing whether you're up or down in a day matters a lot more in your preparation, of course, than knowing if you're going to pitch the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, whatever, right? Like having a dedicated closer seems like something teams are, are getting away from. So from your perspective, is that something you're comfortable with, kind of moving around between innings so long as you know if you're getting into the game or if you're not getting into the game as far in advance as possible? Yes, Yes, I'm, I'm, I think that's the most ideal way to do it. And I think that uh, um, there are times where the, the complete like, like, kind of fluidity of your bullpen is, is, it can be a detriment. Like, for example, a guy who surged through the, the eighth mostly, right? But there's times where he's in the seventh, and a couple times he, he got the sixth. But he, his, his, his window was a little bit more narrow. So if everyone has this super wide open one, it, you, you kind of like, if the days you're up, you're so locked in the whole time that it's, it's just mentally exhausting. Mm-hmm. So having those days where you're like, I can check, I can more or less check out in terms of preparing to, to face guys tonight because I don't have to do it. That was body, for good for your body, but also just as good for your mind. So mm-hmm. um, there were times, you know, there were times where a couple guys, there was times where, to be frank and honest, uh, uh, Clip and I had a little bit of a we we were seeing like we were going in the fourth and third sometimes so we're like I gotta be ready from the third to the ninth like that's a lot because there's there's got to be a point where you kind of go past where you're gonna pitch and like the game is not gonna dictate you going in but if you feel like you're still going in you're just like this the whole time right (laughs) and 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 so like you uh, Duffy always talked about it he's like having these days where I just need to be like like I'm I'm a spectator today I'm gonna root my guys on I'm gonna learn I'm gonna pay attention but I don't need to like stretch all day and whatever so like the days we were told we were down like that's those are the days i'm like i'm taking advantage of a full down day because i'm going to turn this into an off day as much as i can because you just don't get that many um Mm -hmm. and so especially with this COVID season man we were just like dude any of these off days could just be completely just destroyed gone because of because of Mm -hmm. a positive test from another team or for our own team or who knows man we could play we could be pulling a a cardinals and just be playing every day double headers for the rest of the season (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we can't really bank on these things. So we need to take advantage of them when we get them. So, um, but the fluidity in general, like the idea that you can throw whenever, uh, I like it. I like, I like everyone kind of being on their toes in that way because I think your bullpen's a little bit better overall. You get the most out of guys when, when, when it's like that. There was a, a couple more things that kind of changing um, in, in baseball uh, over the past few years of your career. Uh, one of them is just everyone throwing the, the high fastball more. And, um, you know, I kind of looked at, at what you were doing and it looks like, you know, you're throwing higher fat, the fastball higher and higher, more high fastballs with every year. And the whiff rate is going up with it. Uh, but also, frankly, the homer rate. And, you know, that's that's why old school ball, like I grew up watching the Braves, like they were all about down and away because they wanted to suppress the homer. Um, I know we're going after whiffs. I guess the question is, can you throw too many? High fastballs. Is is there a dance up there at the top of the zone that you that you think about? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I my whole career um, I've thrown. I, when I was a starter and young in the minors, I threw up there on accident mm-hmm. a lot, and it got lots of people. People would always wonder, like, why do you guys swing up way up high on you and like no one else? And I'm like, it's just the way my, 
we didn't understand how the ball moved. We didn't know what carry was like, right. and it was always four spot down and away four spot. When it came to the twins, they call it four spot. It was like a grid and the four mm-hmm. was the down and away. They were huge down and away. Brad Radke, Brad Radke style, uh, the Johan Santana style changeup, you know, uh, um, and, and that, I think that there's, there's guys that do that extremely well. Um, but it's all about like where your ball looks like it's going to be and then where it actually is and whether or not that is going to be a place that is um, high damage area. For example, the middle of the plate is always going to be mid-thigh, right down the middle, is going to be the easiest ball for a guy to hit square is going to be. So if you're throwing sinkers, you throw sinkers up, it's going to go there. If you're throwing uh, carry balls down, it's going to stay up in the zone more and not dive down. So you want your balls to be moving away from those problem areas are moving away from wherever the guy's hot zone is. So I think that the vast, vast majority of my homers have been on pitches that were not thrown where I wanted them. I can't think of very many <laughs> that I've given up high in the zone that were like up in the zone on purpose and actually located and then taking me deep where I was like, oh, I just didn't think he would do that. There's a few. But there's not a lot. Um, most of the homers I give up are on fastballs down because I don't want to throw them down there. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about my home rate, home run rate this year, which is really, it's kind of, it's kind of silly to me too, because it was like five and 23 innings when in 2018, I gave up four and 25 innings. Now, if you think about it, that's <laughs> one more home run two, but like the, the home run rates are drastically different. Right. right so, right, right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, home run rate especially is like a very sample size thing and it's, it's tough to do for relievers. We just don't throw that many innings. Uh, right. but yeah, home runs are a thing. Everyone's trying to hit them. And right. uh, everyone's trying to hit them, and we're throwing places in places that it's easier to lift a ball. So if you you just those two elements together are going to produce more home runs. Now you avoid them by um, being really good at yeah, <laughs> being really good at commanding that top of the zone, which is only getting better. I feel like for me, I'm uh-huh. getting more, more. I'm getting a better idea of like what's a called strike and what's not going to be called mm-hmm. but going to be swung at, um, and then missing away from the heart of the plate when I miss. Right, and I make right. making decisions with that kind of mindset. It's risk reward. It's taking very few uh, high risk, low reward uh, uh, mm-hmm. like fights, if you will, uh, and just kind of trying to be uh, trying to make sure I'm in, in more in my 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 strengths. And when if I do have that day where I'm not feeling great and not com- uh, commanding very well, that I'm hitting in those spots that um, that aren't going to be. It's not going to be down the middle, uh, right, and yeah, so. Right. Uh, that's, that's been the big one. Like a 28, 19, for example, curveball crushed me I gave it three homers in a week on a curveball. Mm. So I was just like, and that basically was just like a, wow, this thing's not very good. Let's just get rid of it and let's go a better. That was my next question, dude. So yeah. it seems like he turfed the curveball and, uh, and, but the slider got more drops. So did you kind of find a new breaking ball? That's like different from what you had before. Like you kind of found something in between your slider and your curveball like what what kind of exactly cues what worked for you what 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 what's what what cues did you go through that like kind of made that happen mechanically or grip wise or you changed the yeah grip? so i changed the grip um i changed the grip closer to uh uh urban santana slider um his mm. he has he has a lot of depth but he also had horizontal movement but that was how he threw it uh and he was more on the kind of on the top side of the ball and i'm definitely more throw mine spiral like a football it's not really a tight dot more Mm. it's more of a it's like one of those weird things it's very similar to the way the break isn't 
the same or anything, but like the way that Brad Hand's breaking ball comes out of his hand, he throws like a, he grips kind of a two seam and it comes out and it spins in a way that hitters see it and it doesn't break the way that the spin shows it should be breaking. That makes sense. It's kind of funky. Um, so he gets lots of depth. He gets like depth early and then he gets sweep late. It's like a weird, like, uh, uh, Adamino, it's similar. He doesn't change his grip. He has the same he grip. Change his grip. He, it's like the, the two seam grip. Yeah. And so, they, but that's just his natural, like how he throws. Uh-huh. It's just, it just works. Kind of like how Britain, Britain kind of is really close too. I don't yeah, know. I think he holds yeah. the two seam, but it, it's not a huge difference. Cutter, cutter grip. Yeah. 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 Cutter grip. And he just turns it over. Yeah. And so guys find those things. And so I, I, I have this thought in my mind what a slider was for my whole life, but I never threw one a lot or wasn't really good with it. Uh-huh. And so my, it was always a, like a little cutter. I threw it a traditionally, a traditional slider grip and I was trying to get it to horizontal movement. My body, my arm, everything. Horizontal movement isn't, it, it's going to take your me. Thing. <laughs> not my thing. But depth is. I've always had elite depth and right, I have carry. Yeah. So those, I have really good carry and I have really good depth on breaking balls. Why would I not right. just like all in on, on up and down instead of trying to get something to go off the plate that, that I may or may not be able to do without a lot of practice. Um, this is, you'll hear like when Trevor Bauer talks about pitching a lot, he was, again, he was a depth guy and a rise ball guy and through a ton of practice and pitch design, he's turned a slider more into, it's not even that hard. It's like kind of a curveball still. It looks like a curveball. Yeah. He he throws something. He just wanted the horizontal movement. He didn't really care about the velocity or anything. He just like, I need something to go that way. So when I need that, I can have that. And, uh, and you know, then he wins the sign Right. So, Mm -hmm. uh, um, that's like kind of the way that you go through these things. You got to understand fully. So yeah. So what happened was I started throwing that other slider. Um, our our analytics Linux department at uh, um, in Minnesota was like, hey, try it out. We'll throw in bullpens and stuff. We'll get some data on it. When they came to you, would they, did they suggest a, a, a grip change or a cue change or or did they tell you what you're looking for in terms of movement or velocity or something? What, what were they? What, what what did they come to you with? Like, hey, we think your slider should do X and Y or Z or something. I was just like, I'm messing with the slider. Jeremy Hefner was a bullpen coach. I was like, check this out. He says, that looks freaking gross. And let's, let's record it and see. Let's see. Yeah, what, he got what, the video. The and then, and then Josh Kalk, the head of the analytics department with the twins was like, this is good. We funnel it to him. I threw some in games. They were nowhere close to the zone. No one swung. I, I didn't have feel for it, but he's like, your movement profile is great compared to other pitches at that velocity is like elite elite. So you have way more depth than any – like you're throwing a, the hardest curveball in the league yeah. almost. Like there's only a couple other guys that are throwing like, like – Lance McCullers, the Lance McCullers yeah. thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even Lance, even Lance, he's, he's got such good horizontal and well, – such good horizontal movement. Right. That there's a lot of those guys. Uh, Taylor Rogers sliders, same thing. Just tons of horizontal movement and right. good, pretty good depth. But mine was all depth, mm-hmm. which made it like a weird, like really good tunneling off my fastball. Um, nice. And so the more I started throwing it, I had to start working on, again, like I said, I want to throw this here. And when I miss, I want it to be a certain place so I can still maybe get swings and misses and I'll never get hurt the way the mm-hmm. curveball was. And then so I was throwing it. I still had my curveball at that time. What happened was curveball velocity started going up, brakes <laughs> started going down. They started melding into each other. So they were starting to break pretty close to the same amount, except it was six miles an hour slower. So they're like, I'm like, I remember I gave a homer to Dominic Smith, who's now my teammate. Uh just blew a game straight up blew it like that was oh, probably the only one that i just blew like yeah it was a double start off through at homer we're, we were up by one we're down by two oh. and then that game just exploded on us right that was just a at that point i was like i there's no way to wiggle out of this that was just uh, i just was bad 
that was bad. Um, <laughs> that happened. I remember the next day, I was like, I need something actionable. I think I'm going to bang it. I think we're just going to go a slider and we're going to, and basically Josh goes, I love your slider. He goes, we have, you know, at that point we had two and a half months. He goes, we're going to, we're going to be in the playoffs. We were up in the division. Uh, he goes, we're going to go to the playoffs. We're going to need you in the playoffs. We want you to be the best version of, of yourself in the playoffs. Use these two, two months and just like, don't worry about it and just throw the crap out of it. Just keep throwing it. I just took that advice. I picked it up way faster than I thought I would. And I had my changeup. And the changeup is, is a comfort level. So there's, an, there's actually a couple outings last year you can tell uh, through against the Braves, uh, through tons of changeups. So there was like two or three outings where I was like, I'm going to use my changeup while I'm figuring out this slider. Mm. And, uh, uh, and then I figured out the slider faster than I thought a couple weeks, figured out the slider, and then that became my, my, uh, my punchy pitch again, um, the way that my curveball was. So it was a quick transition, but it was on purpose. And mm-hmm. so, but that was a lot of the feedback I got. I got guys going, this looks good. Hitters are telling you it's good. And the data backs up that it's good. Let's, let's use that so pitch. What else do you need? <laughs> I'm like, I don't need anything. Let's go. And I get fired up and I work my butt off trying to get all that stuff done. So uh, I'm just going to keep doing that. I'm, uh, that's why I'm so fired up to be with Hef again, because he was such an integral part of that process. There's a, a lot of debate in, in our circles right now about how to value the 60-game season, what we can learn from it, you know, how much it matters as we try to project performance going forward. From your perspective, you kind of hinted this with the home run rate being high. That doesn't matter over 20-ish innings, but what were you able to learn from 2020, and how is that shaping your prep for 2021? Ooh, what was it? Oh, well, um, I'm really good at wearing masks. That's, that's a big <laughs> thing that I'm sure is going to be part of 2021. Um, there's, there's, it, it was just kind of trying to continue uh, using the process, so, so that I, that I'd kind of come up with kind of how I prepared for, prepared for teams and and have had a big, big, uh, big role in that too. But uh, I learned, I just kept, kept in that vein and kept going even with the, with the delay of the season and even with it only being sixty games, and and really trying to adjust when things aren't going well, making those adjustments really quickly. I think that's something that I that. Like you just didn't have time. You didn't have a month to just be terrible. Like you, you, you. Though, that month needed to be condensed into like two outings. Like you're good. You can have two tough ones, but you need to get back on track fast because you just you might be a free agent at the end of the year. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> that was always in our mind, and that's something that uh, uh, making quick adjustments. Like the, the guys that did that the best. Like if you saw guys who started slow, like there was very few people like picking it up. Like it was just you just ran out of time. Um, and so. You, you learned a lot of like there was just a more of a, a little bit more of a sense of urgency um and uh i i'd say that that's something that i can take in and then that and i kind of just got rid of some of the uh, some of the eye wash i used to do um and i've been doing that for years like i when i was 18 i was just like oh you know give me all these pro folders and programs and i'm gonna do everything and all of them or i can't be a big leaguer right and then over <laughs> years you realize okay that didn't actually help that didn't actually help so i've been starting to start these like sloughing on off that extra stuff um and so that this year was definitely one i'm like this is what i need to do to be ready tonight uh um and and this is the adjustments i'm making based on what the information i got in the last couple days and keep going so really locking in that process um i'm just gonna i really really excited to go to spring training and just feed on the ground uh, off to the races um getting the whole process ready how i'm gonna work with the analytics department how i'm gonna work with with half and 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 uh, Louie and, and and everyone, how it all works and how you know how the whole bullpen works together, and 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 just go from there. You have a lot of interest beyond baseball. You stream, you podcast, you 
game a lot. Uh, and more recently, you invested in a new football league, fan-controlled football. Games are going to get started for that in February. They're going to be streamed on Twitch. And fans will call plays in real time. So you're one of the owners of the Zappers. This league is wild. What led you to get involved? First of all, I had the opportunity to be in with Bob Mennery from uh, if anyone who doesn't know who Bob is, you should go check out his YouTube channel. He's that guy who does all the uh, all the funny uh, commentation commentator after the fact of, of funny plays in sports, and he's he's one of the funniest guys there is in uh, in in uh, sports media, I would say. Um, but that that was big, and then uh, two, it's just it's a, I'm I'm just I'm plugged into Twitch, man. I believe so much in the um the ability for people watching to have control um or at least feel like they at least be um like have what they're saying or doing create some sort of reaction like that they feel like they're being heard or seen or that they have they're part of it right so this is basically that box was checked in a huge way within 10 minutes they're like we want fans to call the place i was like I don't know if that's going to like work in a football game. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if like it's going to translate to anyone winning or losing. But at the, at the end of the day, man, like it just it just matters that the people watching are enjoying it, and that's the thing. Like like a lot of people are like we need robo umps because we need every call perfect all the time, and I'm like we actually technically don't. We actually need puck calls to be. We need people to not do a good job sometimes, so that we can yell about it on Twitter. Exactly, exactly. And all these people go on their radio shows and yell about how terrible that that call was, or that 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 decision. That guy, like the the human beings trying to like making mistakes, is a huge part of sport. Right? We're entertainers. We just we just go out and we entertain you. Like that's what we do. If you're not entertained, what's the point? So, right. uh, uh, and I'm, I'm super excited just as an athlete myself, all the opportunities that a lot of these guys who are going to play in the league are going to have. Um, there's been talk of Johnny Manziel being in the league, which would be, yeah, let's, let's be honest. The guy's a brand. Right. right? And, uh, <laughs> would be hilarious. I, would love, I would love for Twitch chat to pick Johnny Manziel's plays. That would be just the the best melding of all. If the anybody world would ever. go kiss a cheerleader in between a play, too, let's do it. Like, I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't know what this thing's going to look like. I know it's going to be a studio. It's going to be very uh, like arena style football. Um, but they 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 chose our the Zappers, which is our name, which I, was not my choice. They chose our colors, um, which is uh seventies uh, eighties carpet, um, orange and yellow. <laughs> also didn't choose that. Um, and uh, the 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 logo, uh, which is a f- he did a phenomenal job, and we had a we had a we had three really good choices, um, but I didn't choose that one. I'm gonna be honest, that wasn't my favorite at the beginning. We didn't choose that either. So basically, <laughs> what Twitch chat does, what you need to know if you don't watch a lot of Twitch is basically whatever you want. Twitch generally just goes against you because. They- <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what's happening to me and Bob. But and but then we re- we realized really quickly that's our brand. So like, we're gonna be out here. We're gonna be live streaming the games. People can come into our channels, watch them with us live. We're going to have the on-screen widget, so a lot of the voting and stuff is going to happen in our stream. Obviously, there's going to be a mainstream with the game too. Um, so, but we're going to be hyping. We're going to be. He's. I'm sure he's going to be commentating and, and having a great time with it. But mm-hmm. we're going to try to. We're going to try to guide people. They're going to go directly against us. So we're going to try to reverse psychology. It's going to be a lot of fun. To be. It's going to be. You love fantasy football and love fantasy sports. There's going to be a whole. This is going to be a whole new world for you. Um, and if you really need someone to go like you know, we need this guy to get targeted 10 times. You can influence people to vote for him to get plays so that he gets targeted. And, oh, and there's, there's going to be all these things, right? Uh, there's going to be all these things that are going to probably spring up around it that are super, just from a business standpoint, super interesting to me. But it just combines like content, 
combines like uh, engagement, all these things that I really enjoy that I'm really getting into and I'm trying to build um, brand, brand around um, because this is all, these are all things that I do every day. And I think baseball needs more of. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just a really good time to do it. Um, and the guy and the team behind it is working. They, they understand how content works. They're pushing out all kinds of stuff. Uh, we all are, all the teams have their own Twitters and stuff. And now they're engaging with us and we're getting people hyped up. And it's just, that's, I, I know from my experience that that's how, that's how the world works now. It's all co-signing and all, all just getting, you know, the more people that you follow talking about a thing, you tend to get into it. So um, I, I cannot wait to see how this thing, how, how it kicks off. So it's four games, four weeks. Like it's not going to be anything, not crazy time committed. Like to be a fan, you don't have to like, you know, you, you don't have to be like, Oh, I got to block out the next six months so I can watch the, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it'll be a, it'll be a nice taste. I think of what it can be. And so, um, and then uh, obviously we have a bunch of stars involved with, with Mike Tyson, um, Miro from the, uh, uh, WWE, uh, um, Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch, uh, uh Quavo from Migos, like, and then me, like me and Bob are like, how do we get in this? Like how? we're just the other team. We're that other team. Um, and we can't wait to be the underdogs. We're going to be the, the biggest Twitch followers of, of the group. <laughs> I, I think I technically have the most followers, but um, you know, we know Marshawn was like, yo, I'm streaming. Like five <laughs> <laughs> uh, these, these guys can move mountains, but uh, yeah, right. you know, I'm hoping to get there someday. Well, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to to see what you do with the Mets. Uh, I was in New York for uh, almost 10 years and uh, kind of chose to be a Mets fan. I wasn't going to be a Yankees fan. so um, And uh, uh, I'm excited for 2021 to open up, uh, excited for concerts, excited for uh, uh, being able to go to delis. And, and I heard that you went to a great deli in Queens. I, I do a lot of sandwiches on, on my Instagram and my, on my Twitter feed. and um, I'm not going to ask you about that one in particular because it looked like, uh, uh, you know, you, you got, that's been well reported, but I, I'm going to jump off of that. What is your favorite sort of um, meat? Like what is your favorite sort of building block uh, for a sandwich? So I'm a huge uh, uh, baseline turkey. So I'm a turkey sandwich guy, but I like to add, like obviously not just turkey. So it's yeah, like turkey and roast beef. weird after that. Yeah. 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 You get weird after that. Um, that and then recently, I just I'm on like I, I talked about this on something else I think, but, but chicken, but not not necessarily deli style like fried chicken mm-hmm. or chicken cutlets. So that's why I was so excited about that sandwich. I actually made my own battered uh, fried chicken sandwiches in an air fryer. Like an homage, like like after that. Yeah, I was just like I got to try it, um, and we realized and eh, the chicken. You know, we we've been getting Instacarted groceries because we're trying yeah. to limit the number of times you go to the grocery store. Right, they didn't right. choose the best chicken, so uh, I think in the future I'm like gonna butcher chicken. I'm like I'm gonna go get go to a butcher and get like chicken thighs, like the best, like dark meat. Like let's go. Right. Here's the thing, because I, I got the air fryer and I do the sandwiches. Here's the thing that might be interesting to you. Uh, hitting okay. coach Matt Lyle uh, says crumble up. You you can do double, so do uh, breadcrumbs, but crumble up some Ritz. And uh, and do double, so you kind of do uh, into the breadcrumbs, into the egg, into the Ritz, the crumbled oh, Ritz wow. crackers, and that gives oh, it a little wow. bit. Of, I think a little bit of sugar is probably what what it does, but like uh, it's it's pretty the good. The butteriness too, yeah, yeah that's yeah, probably so. really good. I'm inspired. I'm gonna do that that chicken with the Ritz chicken on a, on a sandwich. So I just gotta go get the right bread. Oh, that sounds so good. I'm I'm so excited. But <laughs> and we were. I was gonna make a. Uh, I have a. 
like a spicy ranch. Uh, and I, for, I looked in our fridge. I'm like, we don't have ranch. Like this is, I'm so offended. <laughs> so we, I just make straight up Cholula uh, aioli with mayo, but it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, don't there get me wrong. Sandwiches are great. Potato, you gotta go. I go. I go potato roll. A lot of people like like uh, like grill or go a little bit like you know ciabatta or something something a little more tough. Mm, Dutch Dutch like crunch. Super soft. soft. Like mm. so, it like molds to the chicken, so you can freaking hold it because right, you know you start, right. it starts to slide and you're eating all the bun, and none of the chicken, and then you yeah, just can't yeah. hold it anymore. I, potato rolls are I, for whatever reason it was it was just like a perfect. Uh, uh, like a perfect combination of super soft bread and then sauce and then crunchy. Yeah. I'm inspired. I'm kind of paleo right now though. So it was very, it was very like olive oil, no egg. It was just like olive oil and then the spices and breadcrumbs. Um, I mean, paleo, I mean, I still use a little bit of breadcrumbs, but right, right. trying to limit the bread as much as possible. Um, but yeah, the crits, you said the sugar, I'm like, ah, sugar. i'll just make something on cheat day yeah cheat day now i'm just hungry yeah (laughs) i actually am very hungry i'm gonna eat after this so i'm excited well trevor thanks again for taking the time to join us today best of luck to you this season with the mets and with the zappers as well thank you thanks guys we got one mailbag question that i want to get to on this episode this one came in from daniel and he wanted to know is it an overlooked story when you look at Philadelphia, Caleb Cotham was brought in. And of course, Cotham has ties to driveline. And the question here is basically about Spencer Howard, Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez, Hector Neris. Are, are there fixable pitchers in Philadelphia that we should be looking at as possibly like undervalued targets as a result of Cotham's arrival and a change perhaps in how the Phillies are handling pitching? I do get excited, like even with Dane Dunning, like I am excited for him to have a new organization and to have a new uh, pitching coach. And if that happens internally, that that can be an exciting moment too. Um, the Phillies, I think, did a really good job with their hitting program, installing Jason Ochart, also from Driveline. And it's not because he's from Driveline. What they did was they put him at the top of the hitting program. They gave him the correct title. They gave him a good salary. And they basically told everyone, listen to this guy. And, you know, I, I did write a, a whole uh, thing about Ochart that about his how he came to be the coach he is today. And I believe he's uh, one of the better coaches out there. Uh, but independent of that, it was it was good for the whole system for him to be in charge and for them to say, this is the direction we want our hitting program to go. And sort of everyone fell into line. And I think they've had some real good advancements, Alec Baum being uh, front and center, but even someone like Hazley, they've had some wins when it comes to the hitting side. Mickey Moniak came back um, and and is now relevant again uh, to some extent. So the hitting program has been done well. They just haven't done it on a pitching side. I'm hoping that's what the Caleb Cotham hiring, hiring means is that, you know, up and down uh, the pitching program, they're going to sort of fall in line with this and and do this. But, the, you know, they've they've had so many different pitching coaches in there in Philadelphia in the last five years, even that as much as I respect Caleb Cotham and expect him to do well, I need to know kind of personally if it is a revamping or if it's just like a, Hey, we stuck a different guy at the top of this kind of rotten tree. Um, and so that is me saying, yeah, I mean, I'll keep an eye out. I think Howard has a lot of potential, untapped potential. I would love to see uh, what Caleb could do with him. And 
Uh, Velasquez has the raw stuff, but uh, you know, there's a, a command issue there and like a, a little bit of a, a fourth and fifth inning stamina. Is it stamina? Like he definitely just like falls apart at some point. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to push it all the way down to Velasquez until I see like that. This is a part of an organizational change. I've definitely taken the bait in the past with Zach Eflin. There've been Little flashes on mm-hmm. occasion coming out of 2018. His strikeout rate had jumped a ton. He went from a, a sub 15% K rate in 2017 to 22.4%. He's always been good at limiting free passes. You look at the underlying numbers. He's got a fastball that was averaging 94 last year, a slider and a curveball, uh, throwing the curve at about 13% of the time. Occasional changeup sprinkled in there as well. So it, to me, he's at least a three-pitch starter. Probably uses the fastball too much. And it's a sinker. Made a fair amount of uh, of use out of the front door sinker, uh, as you can tell by the dis- the difference between his strike rate, which is league average, and his strikeout rate, which is above league average. Um, and I've seen, I've seen, I've watched him. You know, he definitely does the front door sinker a lot, which requires the batter not to swing. So I don't. I one thing I wonder about the front door sinker. I have to study this. Is if it uh, reduces effectiveness over time because batters know it's something you do and they decide to swing at those pitches. Yeah. So I'm. A little bit intrigued by Eflin. Definitely. There's something there. Got some good VLO. Got some good, got a good strikeout rate, for sure. ADP is in the early 200 range. That's a little earlier than I expected, but definitely not brushing him off at that point. I think you could be pretty happy with him as your fifth, maybe your sixth starter, depending on how you're building out that roster. Thanks a lot for the question, Daniel. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up later this week. Our next episode's coming out on Friday. Melissa Lockard will join us along with Britt, of course, as she does every Friday. Uh, If you want to get the best deal of the holiday season, we have a buy one, get one free on subscriptions right now. So if you buy yourself a one-year subscription, you can gift one to a friend at no additional charge. Theathletic.com slash rates in barrels is where you can get that deal. On Twitter, he's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to check out the fan-controlled football league. That's fcf.io. Give Trevor a follow on Twitter and Twitch. I am Trevor May is the handle. He's a great follow on both of those platforms. Thanks again to him for joining us on this episode. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.